This episode of Kid Lit These Days is sponsored by Book Riot Deals, our daily roundup of the best books on sale. Every morning, our editors scour the internet to find the very best book deals on sale from as many genres as possible. We find bestsellers and prize winners, great book club reads, and under-the-radar staff favorites we'd love more people to know about. There's YA, middle grade, adult, fiction, nonfiction, and so much more. Go to bookriot.com slash deals to check out our finds of the day and to sign up for our newsletter. We'll send the day's picks straight to your inbox. That is bookriot.com slash deals. Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of Kid Lit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your Kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Nicole Young, alongside my co-host, Nusra Javed, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper, broader way. We are recording on March 29th, 2021. And on today's episode, we are highlighting children's literature that is written by Asian American women and femmes. Hi, Nusra. Hi, Nicole. How are you? Ooh, it's been a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think we both find it by the time it comes to like recording, we're already, oh, okay, it's been a day already, but this is a bright <laughs> spot in my day for sure. Just getting, it is mine too, <laughs> just getting sure. together and recording um, and talking about just children's books and just books, you know, overall make me happy talking about them. <laughs> me too. Um, and I'm really excited to have this space. Um, you and I ha- had a whole different topic that we were going to do yeah. this, this episode. <laughs> we were going to talk about witchy women. That was going to be <laughs> our closeout to Women's History Month. But of course, um, the events in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, the murders of six Asian women, um, and in general, just kind of the rise of anti-Asian and in particular anti-Asian women violence kind of just kept coming up. And um, we talked about just focusing this episode on things that are written by Asian American women. And so I'm excited to have this space to to honor um, and to uplift the stories and voices of Asian American women. Absolutely. Uh, what I was thinking when I was just, you know, when uh, you sort of brought up, the, brought up the idea of doing this episode, like changing this to this episode, and I was thinking that, um, so the news cycle is always like, you know, it just it's always moving from one thing to other, right? Like it's uh, it, the, the focus uh, on when the event happened was on the shootings, but then it very quickly transitions to the next thing. And I think stories I found are, um, and I find myself having this conversation a lot with a lot of my like uh, like uh, contributing editors over at Book Riot, a lot of my friends that were always talking about how um, a lot of people like to trivialize the role that books or stories can play in uh like in you know in social justice and uh, just uh like how it's not a substitute for action and it absolutely is not but at the same time i think where like the news cycle is so arbitrary like it quickly moves to the next one the like always um, making these reading lists or highlighting the works by the people who have been marginalized or who are victimized like uh, who have suffered and just highlighting their works 
helps keep that spirit of like yes we need to take some action alive and just that constant exercises in empathy that we talk about on so much on this show so uh, i was I, i'm super excited to like discuss some works in this episode i love that yeah it's such a good point around like how quick the news cycle is um versus like kind of narrative especially printed narrative in printed form right and how it kind of is this counterpoint to the quickness of, and the washout that the, the news cycle gives. I think that's such a great point. Um, and I also think that, you know, this, this conversation that I've been having with my adult friends post the shootings is around just the very real invisibility that Asian American people in our country have like expressed and felt and shared over and over again. And how um, even the way that the news coverage kind of moved on was an emphasis on that kind of erasure from the story, how they didn't want to talk about it as racial, right? Like the police get on the, they, yeah. they get in the press conference and they're like trying to make it everything but a racial incident, right? Like everything but what it was. Um, and in a lot of ways that just contributes to continuing to erase uh, Asian Americans who have been a part of this country for, for so, so long, who are as much of the fabric of the, the country as anyone else. Um, and who have been writing and writing in children's literature and helping to expand our imaginations, helping to expand our empathy, helping to expand our worlds and our understandings of each other's cultures for as long as they have been a part of America. Um, and yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you 100%. Like this is um, an opportunity to offer a counter to that that quick that quick moving on. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I'm excited to dive into more conversation with you, uh, but you want to go to the first sponsor? Absolutely. This episode is sponsored in part by Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management. The Master's of Library Science program at Emporia State University is an ALA-accredited program since 1932. It offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to learn your MLS, with most students completing their degrees in two years, even while working a full-time job. Scholarships are available along with matching funds for diversity scholarship winners. To learn more, visit the website at emporia.edu slash slim. That's emporia.edu slash slim. Thank you so much for sponsoring this show. Yay. Okay, so when we decided to switch from our wishy women topic <laughs> to this conversation, um I was I just started kind of just paying attention to um especially on my Twitter account, um the Asian American women authors who were who were really speaking up. I was loving it. It was just like there was like such a great pushback against like how the news was being framed. I also think that um you know, we talk a lot on the show about translation and like, how do we talk to mm -hmm. kids about really hard things that are happening in the world? Like, how do we have the conversations with them? How do we honor their personhood and talk to them about hard topics? Um, and I just thought there was such good pushback. Like I'm thinking about Celeste N, 
Um, and she, like, I follow her on Twitter and she was like, every time a bogus headline would come up, that was just like, you know, man has a bad day or whatever, you know, she was like clapping back with no man killed six people. Like, like let's talk about it. Kids six, killed six Asian women, et cetera. Um, and I thought that that reframe was really important. And I was talking to some of my, um, friends who have a little bit older kids about like, how do you talk about like, we're returning to life where people are getting vaccinated. And part of that, sadly, in American life is also these like baits of violence also. Um, and like, how do you talk to kids about it? And um, I, I just loved this conversation about pushing back against like these kind of mainstream headlines about what was happening and really re-narrating to children what like the actual event, the actual thing that happened was um, so that they can help um, make sense of it too. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I know we were discussing. Uh, so one of the other podcasts, a uh, book ride podcast that I'm on, my co-host and I were talking about the same thing that it's uh, when we should be looking towards like, you know, times of hope where we're like, you know, finally, things are not completely normal, but they're getting to like, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, like as soon as that starts to happen, these events um, start surfacing. and uh it's also like the narrative is like infuriating but at the same time it's also like uh like it also shows how much work there still needs to be done you know just like it it's like an eye opener to everyone i think uh like just you know that how more action needs to be taken and i'm also gonna um i've been coming across such wonderful resources about places you can donate to that are actively helping the asian americans um who have like who uh who might be impacted and um i'm definitely gonna leave the links to that here and you know this is just um we're just scratching the surface of what we can do uh but it's an important scratch that needs to be made (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, please, please, please link those. I would love to have additional resources for that too. Um, And one of the voices, like I was thinking about who in kids literature, there's so many really great, um, a lot of Asian American women have really been like coming out this year with some really fire, um, fire works. I'm thinking about um, the dragon egg princess and others. Um, So I was thinking, one of the first things I was thinking about was, who do I want to talk to? What kids literature authors do we want to bring into this conversation? And um, Eleanor, who wrote The Dragon Egg Princess, came to mind. But I also was thinking about Kelly Yang. So Kelly Yang is the author of Front Desk, which is a kid lit these days favorite. I don't even know how many episodes <laughs> we've mentioned that book. I love that book so much. And I, I think it's so great because, you know, we're well-versed in, like, different types of immigrant stories, um, I think, in kids literature. But, you know, and there's often this like generational tug in in immigrant stories where it's like the young Americanized child wants to, you know, is pushing back against these non-Western parents, right? Like that's sometimes usually the trope. And that like, there's a little bit of that in in Front Desk, but it's not an overarching theme, right? There are these other pieces and it's telling this other story about immigration. It's telling this other story about systemic oppression. Um, even just the fact that her parents have to like hide, hide the, um, the people in the hotels that they're cleaning, all of this stuff. Um, so there's this like subtle commentary 
Um, that's a different type of story. So I was really, really, really hoping that we could get Kelly Yang on the show, and we did. Um, and so she was so gracious to like to give some time to Kidlet these days. Um, and I'm excited for you to hear the conversation. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to share like that with listeners too. And thank you so much for you know uh, like for speaking with her and just uh, like excited to share and her in like the insights that she gave. Kelly Yang is the New York Times bestselling author of Front Desk, which we love here on Kids Lit, the- Kid Lit These Days. She's also the author of Parachutes, which is a YA novel, and Three Keys, which is the Front Desk sequel that is coming out September 2020, or it came out September 2020, um, as well as the winner of the 2019 Asian Pacific American Award for Children's Literature. Kelly immigrated to America when she was six years old and grew up in Southern California, where she and her parents worked in three different motels. She eventually met, left the motels and went to college at the age of 13 and law school at the age of 17. She is a graduate of UC Berkeley and Harvard Law School. And after law school, she gave up law to pursue her passion of writing and teaching children's writing. Um, but before she turned to fiction, she was also a columnist for the South China Morning Post for many years. And her writing has been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic. She is the founder of the Kelly Yang Project, which is a leading writing and debating program for kids in Asia. And she has been a writing teacher for 13 years. So Kelly has helped thousands of children find their voice and become better writers and more powerful speakers. And she has three children and splits her time between Hong Kong and Los Angeles, California. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and what people don't know is that I forgot to press record and we were having a rich conversation and now we're starting over. But I, I am sure we can be just as brilliant the second time around. Yeah. Um, so Front Desk is such an incredible book. And Mia Tong um, is one of our favorites here on Kidlet These Days. And when I read it, um, when I read it the first time, I remember thinking um, that there weren't that many books featuring Asian American leads, let alone Asian American girls when I was a middle grade reader or even a YA reader. Um, in fact, the only one that came to mind was Claudia from Babysitter's Club, and she was a rotating lead. Um, she wasn't the main the main deal all the time. And so- Right, right. And I loved Babysitter's Club because of Claudia. I mean, she was the first girl that I saw who looked like me um, on the cover of a book, and that was so inspiring. But she lived in this like perfect house and had you know all these friends and- I didn't have that part of her life and I really wanted it. But I love the fact that at least someone, finally someone who looks like me is able to get on that cover. Um, and I think that we still, you know, have work to do and on that front, just, you know, today. For sure. And, you know, you talk about her being like such an important piece of recognizing and seeing yourself. And it's such a critical piece for, I think, all groups, all children who are in marginalized groups in this country to be able to see themselves represented. But in particular, um, in the wake of the shootings in Atlanta last week and in the ongoing attacks um, against Asian people across the country, right, these hate crimes, Mm -hmm. I've just heard so many Asian activists and writers talking about this feeling of invisibility that you just expressed. Um, And they experienced that in our national discourse around race, around culture. And I really, it made me think of your work because I feel like Front Desk, um, I shared with you before, it's a book that we have literally put on so many different lists um, in our different episodes. And it's a, you know, it's a work that speaks to so many different parts of an experience, but in particular, I I think it's such an impactful one because it's another opportunity for Asian American children to see themselves represented and for non-Asian kids 
to see Asian kids represented in lit. And so I'm wondering how you think about your writing in terms of combating that feeling of invisibility, especially in the kids' literature space. Yeah, I mean, I think it's super important that we continue to tell these stories that humanize people, to humanize the Asian American community, humanize us as individuals, um, you know, and that's something that I think is just super, super important um, is the fact that, you know, we really need to understand people's struggles. We really need to understand uh, not just their struggles, but their joy, their dreams, their hopes, you know, see them really as, you know, full human beings. And I think that's what's been missing. Um, and this is what's fueled some of the surging hate crimes. It's, it's unspeakable, but it really speaks to the lack of, um, still the lack of stories and material out there to humanize, to uh, make people understand. Um, and, and that's one of the things that's so critical that we do from, from an early age, you know, and not just books like Front Desk, but just, you know, having these conversations, understanding, being able to give kids that window and mirror um, so that they feel empowered if they if they can see themselves represented in a book. I mean, how powerful is that feeling? Like, I'll still never forget it, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid seeing, you know, Claudia on, on the cover of Babysitter's Club. Um, but to have a whole book devoted to, you know, Asian American characters is, is just like mind blowing and wonderful. Um, and then to have windows so that the other people can see our experiences and understand, you know, we, we don't, we're really not that different. We have so much in common. I love that you use the word humanize. And I think about that word often um, as a black woman, because it comes up in moments of racialized violence in this country, which are, are, are often. Um, and, you know, I, I struggle with it because, you know, I, I feel very strongly <laughs> that I'm already human and you are already human. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And the issue is not with our humanity, but with a lack of visibility, a lack of, um, of, of seeing us as complete and whole. Um, mm-hmm. And that's both a systemic issue and a, and a, it's, I mean, it is, it's just a systemic issue. Um, and, and I think also this, con- this conversation that um, has been happening in this past week um, has really illuminated an intersectional understanding of, of the realities that are facing Asian women in particular, right? So we, like we talk about the invisibility of Asian people, but then there's a particular thing that is happening for Asian women mm-hmm. um, in this country. And so you've you've primarily chosen Asian girls or young women as your pro- protagonists. And so I'm wondering, is there a particular story you're hoping to tell about being Chinese or Asian American, in particular, a girl or femme? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the story I'm trying to tell is that I I think Asian American women, um, we do live in this intersection between um, sexism and racism. And this is something that maybe is only just beginning to get talked about. And it's a good thing that we're finally talking about it. But it was really hard growing up with that. Um, I remember, you know, being from China, my parents could only have one kid. And I was the kid and I'm a girl. Um, And my mom always would remind me that, oh, you know, like I, you know, even though you're a girl, but you're still really, really strong. (laughs) And that's the way she phrases, like, even though really, you know, (laughs) Um, and I mean, my mom's like the most awesome, you know, feminist mom now, but it took a long time to prove to her, you know, and I had, I felt like growing up, 
I had to constantly fight for that seat at the even just at the dinner table to be able to mm. get that shrimp, you know, to be able to like <laughs> <laughs> literally fight for the seat at the table. Um, and we live in that intersection. And then we, you know, for us as immigrants coming to this country, we're living in a different intersection, but it's also at the intersection between sexism and racism, because now white people are looking at us and some of them are objectifying us. And how do we deal with that? And certainly my YA parachute delves right into that. And it, it talks about, you know, sexual misconduct about two Asian American women dealing with sexual misconduct and harassment at their school and the trauma that they have to go through um, in that experience. Um, but it certainly mirrors my own experience, what happened to me as well. Can you also share the detail you shared about uh, Mia in, in front desk around the shrimp? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I put that scene in there and it was a really important scene. It's, um, it's a very small detail, but Mia was sort of, you know, in one of her many recollections of China, just remembered that her grandmother always gave her cousin, Shen, more shrimp than her. And I'm, I mean, like, I just want viewers out there to know that I'm no longer so obsessed with shrimp. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but it, it's more just sort of like what it meant, you know? And I mean, even, even now, you know, even now, even though we've progressed a lot, um, it's, st it's still so hard. Um, for, you know, even within our community, there's still so much sexism that exists. So can you imagine just sort of the double whammy that Asian American women face um, from, you know, all sides? And I think that's something that um, I'm really actively trying to dismantle. That's the kind of story I'm hold hoping to tell. I want, I want to tell the story of the Chinese girl who is brave and has a voice and yes. has agency. Yes, we need her. Um, <laughs> we need her. Um, so you're also a writing teacher, and I'm just so curious, how does working with young people, in particular helping them find their voice as writers, how does that inform your writing and the stories that you want to tell? Well, it's actually, it's interesting. As a writing teacher, having worked with literally thousands of kids, I was most afraid of their reactions to front desk. <laughs> <I was laughs> afraid because I've been trying to teach them writing for so long. And, you know, if the book tanked, they'd be like, you're a terrible writer, obviously. <laughs> um, but, in, you know, thankfully, the book did really well. So it did not good. tank. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the things that was really instrumental um, for me was showing these young kids that I would work with that it's okay to be raw and vulnerable. It's okay to open up about yourself. Um, because when I was working with them, and I had some writers who were really pretty great. And some of these kids would, you know, they would daydream about, oh, one day, maybe I'll write a book. Um, and I remember one girl told me, but it'll only feature white characters because I have a much higher chance of getting a movie deal. And I like my jaw just dropped oh. to the ground when I said when she said that, because I mean, I was first of all, I was just shocked at the savviness, but also heartbroken mm -hmm. that at this young age, she felt she had to conform. She really felt that it was strategic and in her best interest to conform. So I wanted to show them what can happen if you really do the opposite. You know, Front Us was written, in my mind, it was written as though nobody would ever read it. It was really written for me because it had some of the most embarrassing details of my life in there. 
Um, and so was Parachutes, really. It was really written as though nobody would ever open this file if I sent it to them. Um, it was really with that courage that it, that it could be so so raw and, and so good, you know. Um, but I remember going back to the classroom and asking some of those kids who read front and are now huge fans of front desk. Of course they are. And, it's incredible. <laughs> and then that first question was, how could you write that? I, how, what did it take to be that brave? And I said to them, you know, it just took a lot of courage. Um, and I wanted to show them that that is okay, that that's actually like number one skill in being a writer, um, you know, and, and not really trying to cater to Hollywood. <laughs> I love that. Um, I've been excited to see more and more middle grades books featuring East Asian and particular American leads in recent years. So I think in just the past year, Dragon Pearl, A Wish mm-hmm. in the Dark, Prairie Lotus, and others. Um, and they're telling a really wide range of stories, which I appreciate, though I feel like the pic- picture book space is still lagging behind um, in representation in that way and storytelling mm-hmm. in that way. What excites you about the possibilities at this moment in the world of kids literature? And what do you want to see more of? Yeah, I mean, I, I like what you're saying. I mean, I would love to see more um, Asian American picture books. I would love to see more in just in the space of like, there's so many different experiences, you know, there, we don't have to all write the immigrant experience. That's one experience, but there's so many exciting like experiences that that are just joyful, celebratory that are, that have nothing to do with um, the hardship of being an immigrant. And, And we can certainly have those. Those are really important as well, but I love the wide breadth, the possibility. And I hope that, um, this movement and this point in time really opens the door to that possibility. And I, I just want to remind everyone that, you know, two years ago, or it was maybe three years ago when we went on submission for Front Desk, every publisher rejected me except for one. Wow. That's how many people didn't think this was going to work, you know? And I mean, that's something, you know? And I'm glad we're finally at the point now where, um, Maybe that's starting to change, and I hope it is. Uh, but it wasn't so long ago when everybody just was very concerned that Asian American stories were going to sell. And I don't want to go back to that. So I really think it's important that we have um, a lot of writers writing a lot of different stories, that we have you know everything represented, every possible experience, um, so that more kids can see themselves in books. What books or series are you really excited about right now? What are you reading? And what are you looking forward to coming out in kids' literature? I am really excited about my friend May Respicio's new book. Um, I think it's called How to Win a Slime War. And- <laughs> what a great <laughs> title. What a good title. It's amazing. I miss her so much. I recently moved from the Bay Area, and she was like my dear friend up there. Um, but I moved to LA, but we still Zooms, which is not the same. But anyway, um, but she is an amazingly talented Filipina writer, and I think that her books are incredible. Um, she actually wrote the house that Lou built um, back in 2018. So we we debuted together 
And we actually both won the Asian American Award for Literature. Um, I won for Front Desk and she was the, uh, she won the honor for the house that Lou built. And oh, I just think- What a joy to win with your friend. Wait, that's incredible. We had, we had the best time. Let me tell you, we had the best time ever getting that award because we, we were on the same flight flying over and we were on the same flight flying back. So you could you know imagine the fun we had. <laughs> um, but I can't wait for her new book. And she actually had um, a second book that was also incredible called Any Day With You, which came out during the pandemic. So, you know, it needs some love, as as does Parachutes, my YA, which also came out during the pandemic. And I consider it, you know, the story of my heart. So please, you know, read Asian American stories, support us, you know, get to know us. We need your support now more than ever. And we really want to you know, be able to share our stories with you and get to know each other as a community. Kelly Yang, I am so deeply appreciative of you taking time. I know that as a community, I mean, it's been a really tough week. Um, There's just a lot of mourning and sadness. And so I I do not take it lightly that you took time out of your your week to speak with us on Kidlet these days. So thank you again. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. It's a pleasure. This episode of Kidlet These Days is sponsored by Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group. 11-year-old Willow doesn't want to go to her dad's weird old summer camp any more than she wants her family to move to the weird old town where that camp is located. But her family and fate itself seem to have plans of their own. Soon, Willow finds herself neck deep in confounding mystery involving stolen snacks, suspected vampires, and missing campers, all shrouded in the sinister fog that hides a generation of secrets at camp, whatever it's called. This is perfect for the fans of Lumberjanes and Brain Camp. Uh, There's more than mosquitoes at camp, whatever. As a hard-of-hearing teen, Willow's summer camp dread goes head-to-head with the supernatural. Um, and the main character uses hearing aids and ASL in this book. So main character with disabilities. I'm excited to learn more about this one. And that is Secrets of Camp Whatever, Volume 1 by Chris Grine. All right. Uh, now it's time for our book talk segment. Um, you can follow us online at the hashtag Kidlet These Days. Give us any of your suggestions. Tell us any books we missed. Um, and you can also send us um, an email at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. And of course, all the books that we mentioned, all of the show notes, and including the, the links that Nusra mentioned earlier, you can find them at bookriot.com slash listen. And then just find this episode, episode 51 of Kidlit These Days. So I'm excited to jump into book talk. We're doing all books by uh, femme and women who are Asian American. So um, I'm going to start off with one that was mentioned by our fantastic guest, Kelly Yang. Um, it's called Any Day With You by May Respicio. And it's a tender, warm story about a creative girl who hopes that by winning a filmmaking contest, she'll convince her great-grandfather not to move back home to the Philippines. Kai and her family live near the beach in California, where the fun of movie making is all around them. Kai loves playing with makeup and creating special effects, turning her friends into merfolk and other magical creatures. And this summer, Kai and her friends are a part of Creative Arts Camp, where they're working on a short movie to enter in a contest. The movie is inspired by the Filipino folktales that her beloved Tatang, her great-grandfather, tells. Uh, Tatang lives with her family and is like the sparkle of her special effects makeup. 
When Tatang decides that it's time to return to his homeland in the Philippines, Kai will do anything to convince him not to go. So yeah, um, Kelly Yang said May Respicio is fantastic. I actually haven't read this book yet, but I'm so excited to read Any Day With You. And th- that's what I love about just like children's and middle grade literature. Like there's, they're not afraid. Like there, there's so much scope. Like, like you know, I'm auto- automatically interested in like there's a filmmaking contest, like movie making. <laughs> and um, <laughs> for any, like for all the adults who are listening to this, I would also like to insert in a plug for Interrupto by Gina Apostol, who is a, um, a Filipina author. And her, her book also involves, um, like it's a story about two filmmakers who are one filmmaker and one is an actor and how it's like, it's a convoluted structure but that basically um it captures the history of philippines in a very intriguing way so this like as you were reading this i was immediately that book came to my mind so i had to mention that oh i love that what's your next one so my pick is stargazing by jen wong and um this is like it's a graphic novel and the illustrations on this are just uh like they're they're beautiful um but um the story itself so this was actually uh the winner of the asian pacific american award for children's literature in the year 2020 and um it's so interesting when i was uh, doing some research for this episode i looked into the, a bit more history about this award and this was actually founded by the asian pacific american librarians association and yes. um <laughs> like it was founded in 1980 and like the whole purpose of that association itself was also to um work towards like creating an organization that would address the needs of Asian Pacific American librarians and those who serve Asian Pacific American communities. So I was aware of this award, especially I had seen the tags on um, many of the books, but I was never aware of like how uh, far the history goes. And um, I'll also link the, uh, link the, uh, like their website link in the show notes. They had some fantastic, fantastic because i had a hard time not just inserting that list and be like okay just go read everything on this list so it was hard to choose but i did choose stargazing um just because it's uh just a bit about the story it's um so we have christine who plays violin and uh she tries hard to be everything that her parents want academic musical and like serious never painting her nails taking chinese language lessons and extra math but then um Moon and her mother, they move into her granny's unit behind their house. And Moon is like a bundle of contradictions to everything that Christine is. Um, so what happens is they quickly become best friends and they end up to, and they end up signing up for the talent show together. Um, but when other people begin to like befriend Moon and they hang out with her Christine and Moon isn't much available for Christine, um, Christine takes a step that might uh, end up ruining their friendship. And uh, the reason I wanted to share this book was it's it's a lovely story about like friendship and just overcoming your insecurities and loneliness of like adolescence. But it also talks about like how um, Christine like is processing her cultural identity and um, like coming to terms with it in her daily life so it's like a mix of both and it's like it's a fantastic like balance so um 
that's the and i like it just sounds like i haven't had the chance to read it yet but uh like from all the people who are like i know some of my friends who have read it and um it sounds like an excellent read so that's uh stargazing by jen wong I love it. I can't wait to dig into that one. Um, my one is Eyes That Kiss in the Corner. It's a picture book by Joanna Ho, and it's uh, illustrated by Dung Ho. And it is – have you seen this book, Nisra? I have not, but I'm, like, looking into it right now. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so beautiful. The illustrations <sighs> are so lyrical and so gorgeous. It's a book about a little girl. Um, and she's Asian American and she has eyes that kiss in the corner. And the whole book is about different types of eyes, all of these different eyes. And then I just want to read this little part. It's like, it's so beautiful. It says, my eyes crinkle into crescent moons and sparkle like the stars. Gold flecks dance and twirl while stories whirl in their oolong pools, carrying tales of the past and hope for the future. Um, and I just love Ugh, it. It's such a beautiful book. That sounds like you're right I, I just looked up the illustration it sounds beautiful oh my goodness my heart <laughs> the part that you read out oh my god awesome i'm definitely i think i'm gonna definitely add that to the card for my toddler who's just turned two as well <laughs> <laughs> yes um and your next pick is one of my favorites i really loved reading this book oh, last year. it's i, I it's okay uh, let me first talk about what the book is so the book is a uh, prairie lotus by linda sue park and it is um, historical fiction set in America's heartland in the 1880s. And um, I thought it was like, it's it's such a unique, it's like such a unique book because uh, in my experience, in my limited experience, what I found is a lot of um, middle grade literature has been like, uh, it's like after the 20th century. So more like 19, mm-hmm. uh, moving towards like 1920s and onwards are like more contemporary. So like reading a historical fiction, um, was definitely so interesting and it it is the uh story of hannah a half chinese girl who works as a dressmaker in her father's shop in the dakota territory and um hannah's chinese immigrant mother has died and she and her white father are looking to start over by running a dry goods store in a small prairie town and um hannah is subjected to ridicule and racism but she also like finds solidarity with other girls and women in town and who eventually help her stand up for herself and um, another fantastic thing about this read is that uh it's like um it's one of uh one of the actually uh, one of the people i was discussing this book with mentioned that it's like such an essential addition to like you know the um little house on the prairie books like yes. that's canon yeah like that and yes. uh i think lewis erdrick's uh birchback house i believe it's called like these are such essential narratives that need to that should become part of the canon because they tell like different facets of the story that has been normalized you know and um the author herself uh linda Supark, she talks about how um like she wrote this book as an attempt at a painful reconciliation like how um there's in little house books there are multiple passages which uh you know which are like um which carry racism and just uh propagate these attitudes and uh she like recognizes and acknowledges them and just offers this up as an alternate narrative like you know this is also another story of the people who were part of that history 
Yeah, she does such a good job in this book. And I I think it's a critical book to read, even in the context of the episode that we're talking about, yeah. because um, I think that it talks into the erasure, right? Because I, I, I devoured the Little House on the Prairie books and anything that was set in that time frame, that kind of like Oregon Trail type like time frame was really in like in my wheelhouse as a kid, but I don't remember reading stories about the very real presence of Chinese American, like, you know, presence, people who were building the railroads and building out these pieces that were going out West. Um, and so she just, she talks about that. She also talks about the racism, the main character, you know, is has to hide when they get to town because they have to like first establish that her white dad is there before they can introduce her because there is so much racism about her being Chinese. And so or half Chinese. And so um, she just does a great job of filling in a narrative that has been lost or erased um, throughout history. I love that book. Um, So another Filipina American, Erin Estrada Kelly is the author of my next pick, which is Leilani of the Distant Sea. I haven't read this one yet, but it looks so fantastic. I had to (laughs) add it to the list. So um, this, the copy is like, There are stories of extraordinary children who are chosen from birth to complete great quests and conquer evil villains. This is no such story. (laughs) Sometimes you are an ordinary child. Sometimes you have to choose yourself. 12-year-old Lilani Sarita lives on the island of Sanglagita in the shadow of a vengeful mountain. And when she makes a fateful wish that endangers her already vulnerable village, she sets out across the distant sea in search of life's good fortunes. Grown men have died making the same journey. What hope does an ordinary girl have? Um, It looks beautiful. The cover art's gorgeous. The uh, Erin Estrada, I've read her other recent book. I think it's like We We Dream of the Star or something like that. So I'm excited to read Leilani of the Distant Sea. All right. My next pick is uh, Crab Cake, Turning the Dike Together by Andrea Surumi. And uh, this, this, is, uh, this is a picture book. And um, I immediately like uh, put it aside. That, okay, this is something I have to get for my daughter as well. Just because it's, um, it's a book that tells the story of this crab who likes to cook, but it doesn't. It, <laughs> <laughs> and just like... Uh, it's it's a very fun book and it the what it does is like what it's hopes to accomplish it it helps to normalize like hardships in the sense that you know like whenever uh you start doing something it's natural that you'll come across difficulties or things might not go according to your plan but that they're like surmountable you know like you can get through them and um that's what this book like hopes to accomplish it's um and it's like it's very it's very much written for like a very younger audience it's like a picture book it's like it has um animals like sea creatures and just the copy itself reads like under the sea fish do what fish do seahorses hide buffer fish buff up parrotfish crunches coral and crab bakes cakes scallop swims dolphin blows bubble and crab bakes cakes and so life goes on until one night when everything changes with a splash in the face of total disaster can crab's small brave act help the community come together and carry on so it just sounds like um like it sounds fan- like a fun, fantastic, rhythmic read. And uh, mm-hmm. like I am 100% here for it. So that's Crab Cake, Turning the Tide Together by Andrea Suru. That sounds adorable. <laughs> I also just love that the crab is a chef. That's yeah. my favorite part of that <laughs> description. I love how it's like 
the fish has got to do what everyone's doing and like crab bakes cake, you know, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> um, my next pick is Asian Americans Who Inspire Us. Um, it's written by a good friend of mine, Annalisa Queer's Wolf, and it's illustrated by Tore Sarayanan. We've mentioned it here on Kidlet's these days before. I just love this book. She highlights different Asian Americans um, across history, across different genres, like Michelle Kwan, but then there's also like scientists and astronauts and everything, um, and highlights their stories with these beautiful illustrations by Teresa Reinen. So um, I highly recommend Asian Americans who inspire us. All right. My next pick is, it's actually a picture book, but it's uh, a nonfiction read. And it's called Paper Sun, the Inspiring Story of Tyrus Wong, Immigrant and Artist, written by Julie Leung. Um, and it tells the story of the artist Tyrus Wong. And he was a boy, his actual name was Wong Gang Yo. And he um, traveled a vast, grocery, uh, like vast ocean from China to America with just a few papers and once in america he seized every opportunity to make art eventually enrolling in an art institute in los angeles and he worked as a janitor at night uh, and like twirling his um mop like a paintbrush and he became the person who made the iconic backgrounds of the disney's classic bambi and oh, wow. and it's just um it's just a story of his life and like how he just never uh how there was so many barriers to him achieving his dream but he just never gave up he just took whatever he could get and um just like the mentions of like how he used to twirl around his like mop as a paintbrush like he never gave up on his passion even once and he became like that person like bambi is like you know an acclaimed classic and mm-hmm. uh, the backgrounds itself like if you uh, uh, like i've seen bambi and the backgrounds are like something to behold and um disney also a thing that disney does that i recently found out is it also reuses a lot of its backgrounds but like it changes some de- like um some details but it uses a lot of the classic backgrounds in like the later movies as well so he um he like Jay, like you know, he achieved something marvelous, and this is just his story about how he did just that. And there are like extra informations and photos as well at the end of the story, which um like which shed more light on his like story and his like the story itself. It covers the difficulties that immigrants face, and uh like I have all uh, like. The, especially the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was a thing in the U.S., just how that impacted him and his like his ability to achieve his dreams. So, um, it, it's just a fantastic read and so so fascinating. So it's Paper Sun, um, the inspiring story of Darius Wong, written by Julie Leung and illustrated by Chris Sasaki. Yay! My final book is another book that we mentioned here on Kidlet these days, and we actually had the author Kai Cheng Tom on as an interviewee once. But it's called From the Stars in the Sky to the Fish in the Sea. It's written by Kai Cheng Tom and illustrated by Kai Yun Ching. And um, I think that this book is so beautiful. It follows the story of Muan Mu Lan. Um, who is is always in between. So Mulan is not a boy or a girl, not a bird or a fish, not a flower or a shooting star. Um, Mulan is anything that they want to be. Um, and it's just a beautiful tale about accepting yourself, about not conforming to any particular identity if you don't want to. Um, Mulan's mother is just like encouraging. So the title of the song comes from this 
this like thing that she whispers to them every night, you know, I love you from the, from the stars in the sky to all to the fish oh, in the oh. sea. <laughs> it is a gorgeous book. I bawled when I first read oh, it. I just goodness. thought it was so, so, so <laughs> gorgeous. Um, and Kai Cheng Tom is a dream. We had a lovely interview when she came and talked to me. So yeah. Uh-uh. And with that, I think that's the end of our book talk, huh? Yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for like tuning in to this. And if you have any more recs for us, um, please do let us know. And for more book recommendations, you can always visit bookride.com. And for more podcasts, check out bookride.com slash listen. Thank you for joining us today. And as always, we would love your feedback on this podcast. And we always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you help other people find us. You can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at IttyBittyNY. And you can find me, Nasra Javed, on Twitter at Javed Nasra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And thanks to Dr. Baker, who is our fantastic sound editor for this episode. And if you have a story idea, you can reach out to us on social media using the hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would really love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear on the show. May your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming. Mm -hmm.